0: So 1 Peter chapter 2, so context first before we get into this. Peter is writing to a church that is going through, through, to Christians that are scattered who are going through some really tumultuous times, but also are about to go through some harder times. They've already dealt with things like famine. They've dealt with things like persecution. They're going to see more. Times are going to get harder before they get easier. And so he is giving them some of the core things that they need to know To be able to hold on strong to their faith to their hope and to know that it's worth it and so we come to this part of the chapter and he's being really very practical and some of the things that are before the text that we're going to read he addresses different people in different circumstances and what we're going to read is actually right after and really connected to what he addresses to slaves and servants and we might be tempted at times when we're reading through this or, for example, in Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, where he addresses a lot of the same groups of people, where Paul does rather. Uh, we might be tempted to skip over the ones that we don't th- think fit our job description. You know, if you're married, you skip the and the wives and the husbands. Or if you're uh, like we all are, if you're free, you might be tempted to skip over the things addressed to servants and to slaves or to masters, for that matter, because nobody's that either. But that would be a mistake. Because both Paul and Peter, when they address these groups in their letters, teach truths that are important for all of us, and they're bigger than their context. And I think that's really important for us to remember. Their context is important, why he said it and to whom he said it is important. But some of these truths are bigger than any one setting, and we need them. We need them desperately. So... If you're ever tempted to say, well, I live in America, I don't need that." read that verse, repent and read the verse. It's the word of God, right? And it has things for your life that you may find surprisingly uh, relevant and surprisingly helpful in your own heart and growth and attitude as you approach life. This is one of those texts. So as we read it, we'll notice that it's not our context. But boy, is this a truth that we need in our own context, Okay. He says verse 13, I'm going to go back. I was just going to go to 18, but I couldn't do it. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up For evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Well, good night. That could be next week's sermon right there. Did you see that? Verse eighteen: Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Well, that'd be hard for us, wouldn't it? You talk about a challenge. You ever find yourself in a circumstance? that is unjust, it's just not right. That's how we would say that. We don't use the word unjust all that often. But we'd say, well, that's just not right. Happens all the time. There's lots of things in this world that aren't right. And what does he say you do when things aren't right? Uh, Well, hold on. He gets more personal than that. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. All right. The context is slavery that he writes this to. And a lot of these early Christians were slaves. Sixty percent of the Roman Empire were slaves. So the odds of you being a slave were actually pretty good. Sixty percent of the Roman Empire were slaves and never had a clue that life could be as good as whatever you're going through right now that you think is terrible. Keep that in mind. That's perspective and context. When Peter writes to them, he doesn't write from theory, and he doesn't write from uh what I like to call stained-glass theology, okay? It wasn't big words, and it wasn't academics. It was the life he had lived in the presence of Jesus okay as an eyewitness to who Jesus is and was Peter could speak in a way that none of the rest of us can actually quite speak he had eaten with him and served with him and suffered with him and so when he says listen life does absolutely get hard well we, we can read about it no he's not making that up he has suffered and he has overcome suffering through grace and through faith in jesus christ it's not uh ivory tower talk he's been there he's done that he's seen god deliver and so when he writes these christians and at this point in his life not only is he an apostle but he's an elder he writes to them as a shepherd and says let me tell you how you're going to handle what's coming to you Okay, and so all these lessons, as we've we had that as our context. What's coming could get harder, so how do you handle that? Okay, That could be true for any of us at any time, no matter what time period we live in. And it can be big picture hardship that's coming. It can be individual hardship that's coming. Everybody else may be doing great. You're sitting there going, why me, Lord? That's real. How do you handle those things? Suffering is not popular. I've, I wonder why, right? Suffering is not popular, and it's not popular to talk about in church. And yet, and yet the scriptures talk about suffering all the time. We read verses like in the first chapter of James where he says, Consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds, and we go, and I, I don't think so. But we we should. James, the brother of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, wrote those words. I don't believe in a, uh, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit where it's just like you saw a beautiful sunset and were inspired to write something down. I believe in the kind of whole inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Peter wrote about where he says that the prophets didn't just write down whatever they thought or felt or were inspired to write down, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who gave them what to say. And so when James says that, it is the Spirit speaking through him to you to say, Even in very difficult times of suffering, you can find joy if you so choose. Now, how do you do that? Well, James goes on and says, let me give you a reason why. Suffering accomplishes things. Endurance accomplishes things. Perseverance accomplishes things that will make you a better, more whole, more complete disciple of Jesus Christ. You'll have a better understanding. You'll have a better character and a better heart. You'll have a stronger family. You'll have better children if you will hold on to your faith even. If you will hold on to your joy even. It's the difference, by the way, between happiness and joy. Happiness is totally circumstantial. Okay? Bacon is happiness. Joy Joy is praising the Lord when you ain't got no bacon. Okay, now that's the difference. It always comes down to bacon, doesn't it, in some way or another? I didn't have any this morning. But is there joy in the Lord? Absolutely. Endurance produces joy. And so sometimes you have to go through the endurance of a lighter bacon morning. That just happens. Real suffering, though, is also part of life. We look at the prayer requests that we've got going on this morning. Go down that list. Guarantee you everybody on that list knows that it's real. Some of them lost sleep last night. We were asked to pray for a four-year-old. You think those parents slept well last night? I wouldn't. That you wouldn't either. How do you handle that sort of thing? It's not popular to talk about because we just want to do touchy-feely, nicey, smiley stuff. But that's not life, and life isn't pretending that everything's wonderful. Life is actually finding strength and joy and reasons to praise God even when it's not what we would like it to be. Even when circumstantial happiness escapes us, we ought to be able to find joy and gladness in the Lord. That's not a contradiction. That's faith. No one has to offer to the world what the gospel has to offer to the world, and no one has to offer to suffering people what you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have to offer to them. So we need, as you were talking about earlier, we need to know what we believe and why about suffering. Uh, Colin Ray, I like Colin a lot of Colin Ray's song. He does a lot of ballads, and I like uh ballads, and... Um, he was in an interview several years ago with why he goes to the particular church. And I've shared this in a class before. Some of you remember this, that uh, he and his wife lost a child. And I can imagine and not imagine. Some of you know all too well what that's like. And they lost a child. And what they found was that a lot of the versions of Christianity, that are popular, just don't want to deal with that. They don't actually have anything for you with that because all they have is, you know, a bunch of bumper stickers, a bunch of happy bumper stickers. And that's all they quoted. And he said, we found that so empty and so helpless and so demeaning to our situation that we just found nothing there. And then they walked into a church. And that morning they were talking about suffering because their scriptures that they were focusing on were talking about suffering. He said, we never left because what we found was people who were actually willing to talk about what we were going through. What we found was circumstances that actually matched life and not just bumper stickers and books that sell. What we found was real faith. He said, the ability to talk about it and to pray about it and to go through it without pretending to them was real christianity and peter knows this so he addresses the slaves and he doesn't pretend it's not a bad situation Doesn't pretend it's okay he says sometimes you're going to have a master who is completely unjust he's wrong he mistreats you he abuses you and here's how i want you to live and here's how god wants you to live and here's how you're going to get through this with your faith intact here's how you're going to actually come out on the other side better in better shape before the lord than your master in truth here's how so that's what we're going to look at uh, in the next few minutes. First, uh, in verse 21, he says this. This is what really jumped out at me this week. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There are a couple of things here that we've got to catch. The first is, he says, when you, what? When you do good. He's just said earlier, I think it's around verse uh, 18 or 19. He's just said, listen. If you did wrong and if you sinned and you violated the way that you were supposed to act in your situation, in that case, he's talking to slaves, and so you get beaten because you are a rebellious slave, he says, I, it's, it may not be right, but you earned that. Again, may not be right, but who brought that on yourself? You did. But if you did what was right, If you're doing good, then what does that look like to the Lord? He says, when you do good and you suffer for it, you you endure, it's a gracious thing. Sometimes uh, we'll read this and he says it's a gracious thing or a commendable thing if you're using the NIV. Uh, We'll read it like the suffering is commendable. And I've heard preachers preach this where they said, oh yeah, it's a commendable thing to suffer. That's actually not what he just said, Okay. All of you English teachers who know how to diagram a sentence, you look at that right quick. What did he say was commendable? If you endure it, it's the endurance that's commendable and the endurance, he says, is a gracious thing. And in the Greek, that's actually the that's the best word. It's grace. It is grace when you are able to endure. You got that from God and it glorifies God and it brings grace more deeply into your life because you Being mistreated still had the character and the faith and the conviction to do what was right. It's easy to do what's right when everybody's giving you an attaboy and a pat on the back. That's easy. That doesn't take any character at all. Character is when you know you're going to take heat for it and you still do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. If you look around our world, that is not what we got a lot of right now. There's still people out there. I don't think we should have a defeatist attitude or even an outnumbered attitude. There are a lot of people trying to live their life according to what's right and true according to the will of God. And they're doing it, and some of them are taking a lot of heat for it in different contexts. Some aren't. Some of them have an easier way. That happens. Peter says the only way we get through what we have to suffer Is through the grace of God given to those who do good and endure. You stay to it and you keep moving forward. And that's not easy. Is it? It's not easy. He never uses, I I don't think the word easy is anywhere in first Peter. I don't know if Peter knew the word easy. I'm not sure it's in there at all. There was no easy button in the first century. It's not easy. But it's right, and it's what honors God. And so you press on and you do what's right. John Maxwell uh has what he calls the, uh what's it called? The law of Mount Everest. I was going to call it something else. The law of Mount Everest. The law of Mount Everest is this, that as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. That can almost sound like a bumper sticker, but think about this one. The harder life gets, what do you need more of? Yeah, support, encouragement, strength, and numbers. Why do we need each other as a church? Why did God bother to bring a community together rather than just give us salvation and call that the end of the day? Because as the challenges get harder, we will need each other All the more. That's true at the individual level. When things get really hard, we can be tempted to isolate. We can be tempted to withdraw. We can be tempted to cut off relationships. And instead, what needs to happen is we need to learn to draw strength from one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to build each other up in the faith. We need each other. Everest is not something you do solo. That's why he uses the example. You go solo, you do what? You die. Listen, some of you can't even handle 65 degrees without a coat. I don't understand that. Okay, that's foreign to me. But I'm telling you, you're going to need somebody. I don't know why, but now I've got Luke Skywalker being stuffed into that dinosaur-looking thing. He needed somebody to stuff him in an animal. Some of you do, too. That doesn't sound right. But you know what I'm talking about. We need each other. He went off on his own, nearly died. I'm going to tell you this. You try to take Satan on by yourself, guess what? It's like Everest on your own, on steroids. Because here's the difference. Life is already Everest. Satan and a target on your back is being hunted down. It's like, what's that book? The Mockingjay, all of that Hunger Games it's like the Hunger Games on Everest that only works in the movies in real life you need teamwork you need one another and that's why he gives us the church that's why he gives us one another and a lot of first Peter, he's going to remind them of that you need each other and you might say well it's not that hard yet okay guess what the mountain gets steeper the challenges escalate and it gets harder. Build the relationships at the base of the mountain because you're not going to find anybody up there if you go off on your own and it's too late. Okay? Search parties are much harder to find success than teams in the first place. Remember that. First Peter 2.21 We also have somebody to guide us who has already been there. Jesus is, if you go to to Everest you also hire a Sherpa don't you somebody who knows the mountains who knows the weather who knows the experience and has been up and down that thing with other groups why do you do that knowledge is power right Jesus is our knowledge and is our power and is our example for this you have been called because Christ has suffered for you leaving you an example to what have we been called Again, we can make the mistake and think it's talking about suffering. He's not saying you've been called to suffer. He's saying you have been called to endure. You have been called to overcome. You have been called to be faithful. You've been called to be victorious. You've been called to show that faithfulness wins. You are a big billboard by God saying, see what happens when you believe. See what happens when you trust. See what happens when you hold on and when you follow Jesus. And so we follow him. He says he's given you an example. He's shown you what was his example. Look back at at the text in verse. uh, I'm going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm going to go back to 22. He committed no sin. Oh man, that's tough. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, look at how he reacts. Viktor Frankl says that our greatest freedom is between the action that's to us and our reaction to it, that every man is born and nobody can take away the freedom to react. According to our principles, it's in Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Check it out. Great little short book. How did he react? When he was reviled, man, he gave him the what for but he didn't when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten you find either of those two things hard you find it hard not to be nasty back you find it hard not to threaten people that you see see as a threat when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly said God I know you have this and I know you'll do the right thing and so I will do the right thing he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness righteousness keep making this point because I just think it's it's revolutionary in our thinking because we've missed it so often righteousness we think about being sinlessness righteousness is the same thing as justice the greek word means the same things righteousness is justice and so when he says righteousness he means you're justified but he also means you will receive justice meaning god will make it right trust the one who judges justly god will make it right he will right all, all wrongs if somebody needs to be taken care of because of the way they've treated you, that's not yours to do. The one who judges justly will make it right. He went to the cross to show you. He will make it right. How does the cross show us that? It goes back to the garden. When an evil snake in the grass, not the only one, but the main one, when an evil snake in the grass tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned and fell. And the cross was God's way of saying, Jesus' way of saying, Now I've made that right. He will receive what is coming to him. He will be punished for the fall of mankind, and man will be set free. Things are made right. We can trust that he'll make the things right that happen when we suffer, whatever that may be. It may be disease it may be death death is an injustice it's not what God wanted it's not what God intends even when it's natural so to speak all death is unnatural because we are eternal beings designed to be so whatever the injustice is individual against the church whatever it is God will make it right it's grace To trust him. It's grace and commendable to say, God, I'm not taking that into my hands. I'm not taking that into my anger. I'm not taking that into my bitterness. I trust you and I know you'll do it. And so instead of doing those things, what do we do? We continue in doing what is good. We love. We serve. We encourage. We pray we help people to find jesus and to find this the promise of a life made right three things real quick real quick i don't think we can do this unless we remember that right back here our example and our leader is jesus So as you walk, and as you go through suffering, and as you go through whatever those difficult times are, do not lose sight of Jesus. How did he live? How did he react? What did he do when things weren't right? How did he love people in spite of how they did or did not love him? How did he do it? We talked about that last week. What did Jesus do, and what would Jesus say? Fix your eyes on him and don't ever look to anything else as your standard. Not even good people and not yourself. Don't follow your heart. That's how you got where you are in the first place. Follow the Lord of your heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, as Hebrew says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember why you're following him in the first place, okay? Yeah, I mentioned Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. He quotes... Nietzsche, but ever so many it's a disputed quote because people always quote Frankel instead of Nietzsche for this saying. You may not care, but I think it's funny. The reason they do that, I think, just my opinion, is because Frankel had an honorable why, and Frankel pointed to God, whereas Nietzsche pointed to a dark abyss, and that's not much of a why to live for, ironically, but this is what he said and he did nail this even if he got a lot of other things not quite right those who have a why to live can face almost any how those who have an eternal why those who have a Jesus why can face anything not almost they can face anything now will Satan at times push you to the edge to where you think, "Hmm, maybe not this how. Peter wrote this to tell you, yes, any how, any circumstance, God will see you through because endurance is the grace of God in action in your life and in your circumstances and in through all of those hows that can be overwhelming and tough. Victory comes when ultimately we realize that where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish is far greater than what it is we're going through at the moment, whatever hardship we're in doing and whatever cost there is to it. I'm going to give you a silly example. Years ago, I was in Boston. uh Many years ago, before we were married, I was in Boston. We were on a church trip to go see the whales out in the Atlantic okay we were gonna go whale watching fun thing to do I've heard and so we went we get out on this boat never been seasick before in my life epic seasickness okay I'm not gonna go into the gross details don't worry but it was a really windy wavy day and I mean waves like the boat we were on was as long as this auditorium easily and at least half its width so it was a good-sized boat not huge but a good-sized boat And we're out there in the water and we're getting out pretty far. And the swells were really big to at one point, again, at least as long as this auditorium, half the boat is in the air out of the water at a time. And it would come slamming down and waves and all that good stuff looked like the beginning of Gilligan's Island. And I felt like Gilligan. And so here we are on this boat and all of a sudden things took over us that can only be described as demons. That was That was the seasickness. And half the boat at the back was full of seasick, wretching, and wretched people. And I joined them. I never eaten so many hot dog buns while looking at the horizon in all my life. Apparently, this is the Boston cure for seasickness. Eat a hot dog bun, stare at the sky. Okay. It didn't work. It didn't work. I never saw a whale. I never did see one. People were like, oh, it was great. And I'm like, I just paid 36 bucks for what? To throw up? I couldn't do that for free. Anyway, that's the way it worked. But if you ask me right now, so, James, would you go back out there again? What would I say? Absolutely, I would go again. Why? I still haven't seen a whale. <laughs> it would be worth it to me to see the whale. All those people that went on the boat that saw the whales had these wonderful memories of seeing whales. It would be worth it to take the chance to have something of else in my memory other than those hot dog buns on the horizon. I would love it. I would love it and i would go in a heartbeat to go and do that again why because what i'd like to see is way better than the cost you know in the end what's a little upchuck to see a whale it's just not that big a deal you look at our life and you look at suffering it's hard it's miserable. i mean I, that was the most miserable seasickness i've ever had it was miserable It would fade the second I saw a whale break the surface. And it would have that day too. I would not have cared. I would have been excited because it would have been worth it. There's no promise when you get on a whale watching boat that you'll get to see anything. That's, that's, you pay for the opportunity. Christ is better than that because it's not an if you might see the skies part. It's not an if you will hear the trumpet blast. It's not an if you will be raised from the dead to live for eternity without all of this suffering. It's only a when. Not if, but when. That well will break the surface and it will be worth it. Whatever is happening in your life, it will be more than worth it. All of those things, Paul says, will pale in comparison just absolutely nothing by comparison to what we have and sort of that Jesus says come and follow me I'm going to read the words quickly of a, a song that we sing and I think that I might have accidentally closed that let me find this right quick him follow me lyrics you know this is how we do things now she's going to look up this is how we do things now I don't know what that song is, but I don't want it. Okay, I definitely don't want it. Here we go. We sing this song. That's the wrong song. Uh, you know why? Google thinks him is spelled H-I-M. Let's try that again. Here we go. You know the song, and you know it well. I traveled down a lonely road, and no one seemed to care. Feels like that some days. The burden on my weary back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me, and then I heard him say so tenderly, My feet were also weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy I fell beneath the load. Be faithful, weary pilgrim, the morning I could see. Just lift your cross and follow close to me. I worked so hard for Jesus i often boast and say i've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way i gave up fame and fortune this this line kind of cracks me up i'm worth a lot to thee you ever said that to the lord god i'm worth a lot to you we can be that way and then i hear him gently say to me i left the throne of glory and counted it but loss my hands were nailed in anger upon a cruel cross but now we'll make the journey with your hand safe in mine so lift your cross and follow close to me this is what peter says to the church take his hand he's shown you how to do it he's shown you how to react and he doesn't leave you alone he is with you every step of the way